All right, it's the Keefe to the City Yankees podcast, and the Yankees win for the 12th straight time. They beat the A's on Thursday night, 7-6 to in Oakland to kick off this four-game series with the A's, a crucial four-game series for playoff positioning to maintain their status as the first wild card to potentially get the division to keep the A's away from them when it comes to the wild card, and they win, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, and it wasn't going to be easy because before the game started, the lineup comes out. No Luke Voigt, the guy who's been the hottest hitter in baseball, not in the lineup, so the Yankees can play Brett Gardner in center field so they can DH Giancarlo Stanton, forces Voigt out of the lineup again, and he has now not started a game since Saturday. He played on Saturday. Sunday's game was postponed. Monday, he wasn't in the lineup in Atlanta. Pinch hit, walked. Tuesday, he wasn't in the lineup in Atlanta. Pinch hit, walked. Wednesday, they were off. Thursday, he's not in the lineup. So he has not now played since Saturday. So if you were worried about Luke Voigt's hot streak ending, him going cold, well, he didn't need opposing pitchers to do that. He had his own manager do that to him. Aaron Boone's decision to not play him once again. And yes, Brett Gardner hit a home run in the game, hit a solo home run. And it's, it seems like whenever Gardner is like going to lose his playing time, his job for good, he's not going to ever lose a roster spot. That's That's for sure. But he always comes through it and it hits that home run. And it's sort of like what Rugnan Odor does. Rugnan Odor will suck for three weeks. He'll hit a big home run. And then you're like, okay. And then he sucks for three weeks and he hits a big home run. It's what fringe Yankees have done forever. Always on the brink of losing their job, their role, they come through. So Brett Gardner, yes, he hit a solo home run. We'll get to what happened later in the game with him, but he hit a solo home run. Voight was in the lineup. He ended up pinch hitting late in the game and flew out. But come on, let's play Luke Voigt. It shouldn't have to be Luke Voigt or Anthony Rizzo. It should be Luke Voigt and Anthony Rizzo. Luke Voigt should be the DH every single fucking day. Every single fucking day. There was 36 games left entering Thursday night. There's 35 now. The Yankees have not clinched a playoff spot. They are still alive for the division. They haven't done anything other than finally pass the A's, pass the Red Sox, and take hold of the first wild card. That's not a fucking accomplishment. It'll be an accomplishment when they're spraying champagne in the clubhouse because they won the division. And they're not going to do that by not playing the best possible lineup every day. And I'm sure Voight will be in the lineup on Friday because the left-hander, Sean Benai, is pitching. That'll force Rizzo to the bench. Just fucking play the best nine fucking guys. It's not hard. It's really not. You haven't done it all season part of the reason you're still chasing the Rays and the unnecessary rest all season and the bad lineups it didn't prevent injury everyone got injured it didn't prevent underperformance everyone underperformed for almost four months it didn't do anything so I love when people say how are you complaining about this team they've won 12 straight they passed Oakland they passed the Red Sox great they did all this because they had to They left themselves no room for error, no margin for error in the second half. They had to do this because they pissed away April and May and June and half of July. So yes, it's great they've been on this run. 29-9 since the All-Star break. 22-4 since the trade deadline. 12-game winning streak. All of that, it's great. But it doesn't erase what went on the first almost four months of the season. That put them in this position where they had to do this. There was no other way for the second half to go if they wanted to make the playoffs other than to play basically 700 baseball. Now it's time to fucking stop with the unnecessary rest. Stop with everyone needs a day off except 
the guys who need days off. Like, Brett Gardner seemingly never gets a day off. Andrew Velasquez, who I love, never gets a day off. For a time there, it was Tyler Wade and Rugnett Odor never getting days off. While Judge gets time off, and Stanton, and Gallo, and I'm sure Rizzo will on Friday night, and Voigt gets all the time off. Play the best possible lineup. But in the actual game, the Yankees get an early lead on a John Carlo home run, which was just unbelievable. <laughs> it seemed like it was a 200 mile per hour exit velocity going 1,000 feet straight away center. He homers in the second. Brett Gardner homers in the second, gives the Yankees a, a 2 nothing lead. And then the third, they added on four more runs in the third. Anthony Rizzo had an RBI double. Joey Gallo hit a three-run home run. It's 6 to nothing in the middle of the third. But then Jamison Tyone does not like big leads, does not particularly like six-run leads. His last start, didn't really like a six-run lead. Start before that, didn't really like a big lead. So to start off the bottom of the third, he gets a back-to-back home run. So now it's 6-2. to two. And then in the fourth, with the Yankees leading 6-2, to two, the just Tyone unraveled. A walk, a strikeout, a single, a walk, a walk, a strikeout, a single. And finally, he was removed from the game. By the end of the fourth inning, it's 6-5. And the com- momentum had completely shifted by this point. The Yankees weren't getting base runners anymore since the Gallo home run. Weren't even drawing walks. The A's were, it seemed like every other guy was reaching base. And then the next inning, Albert Abreu gave up a home run to Josh Harrison, and poof, the six-run lead was gone. At the end of five, it's six to six. And then it stayed that way until the eighth, when the Yankees had the bases loaded and one out. And they had Brett Gardner and Gio Rochella coming up. And Brett Gardner gets ahead in the count three and one. Should have been four and oh. He should have walked. He should have walked in a run. But the home plate umpire was so fucking bad all night. It was maybe the worst balls and strikes calling I've ever seen from Todd Tishner. I had no idea pitch to pitch what was going to be what. There's balls perfectly in the zone called balls. There's pitches outside the zone called strikes. I had no fucking idea what was going. And that's part of the reason Aaron Boone was thrown out in the second inning of the game. The, the strikes and balls calls... We're just, are just atrocious. And I get that the white box overlaid for every game of Major League Baseball isn't doing the home plate umpires any favors, but we need it. They need that box there. I was checking out the Mets-Giants game before this game because I had been on the Giants, and the fucking calls there were just as bad. <laughs> so for the umpires to be worried about their jobs with a potential robo-strike zone, they should be. It's so bad. It's every game you miss a call here and there okay there's calls that are missed frequently it's not okay so Gardner should have walked but he didn't and he gets a 3-1 slider from Sergio Romo who couldn't throw a fucking strike and he pops it up and I just you just can't do that Brett that at bat erased his solo home run earlier in the game to not be able to get a run in there bases loaded one out three and one count Gardner usually doesn't even swing at that. He'll wait to get the 3-2 to two and take his chances that he will get walked. But of course he has to try to be fucking the hero and pops out. And then Gio Urshela comes up and just grounds out to end the inning. And thankfully Jonathan Loisega was pitching the bottom of the 8th that he'd done the 7th and was lights out to get it to the ninth. And in the ninth, Voight pinch hit. Like I said earlier, he flew out. LeMayu hit a line drive missile to right field. 
but right at the right fielder. Then Anthony Rizzo drew a four-pitch walk. Then Tyler Wade pinch ran for Rizzo, stole second, went to third on the throw, and then Aaron Judge, behind in the count, one and two, was able to fight off a ball, bloop single to right field to score Wade to take it to the bottom of the ninth. And at this point, Chad Green and Aroldis Chapman had been warming up. First, it was Green alone. Then Chapman got up, and I was just like, okay, I, I don't know what he's doing, but there's no way he's coming into this game. Then Judge's bloop single fell in, and then Green sat down, and it was just Chapman warming up. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Do you want to relive what we've relived with Aroldis Chapman since really mid-June at this point? You're going to let him protect a one-run lead in Oakland where this team never wins? 1-9 since 2017 against a team they're trying to beat out for a postseason spot? Unbelievable. But Chapman comes in. He gets Elvis Andrews to fly out on three pitches. Then he strikes out Marcana on four pitches. So you're thinking, okay, two quick outs, seven pitches. Just get the third out. First pitch to Starling Marte, single. And Starling Marte, who never gets caught stealing, ever, steals second right away. So now the tying run is on second. Matt Olson's at the plate, the A's best hitter. And I, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I mean, I guess I could because it's Aroldis Chapman and he's not any good. Or at least he hasn't been any good now for two and a half months. And it was a battle. He falls behind Olsen 3-1 and one, and I'm just thinking Chapman's going to lay one in there and we're going to have the latest worst loss of the season. And he did, but thankfully Olsen grounded out. Odor in at second, throws over to first, and the game's over. They won. It took another scary performance from Chapman. It took them blowing a six-run lead, but they won. So now you go into Friday's game, Garrett Cole's pitching, so that means Sanchez is probably on the bench, even though he should just DH if Rizzo's not going to play. But Cole's going, Sean Manaya's going, the lefty against his right-handed heavy lineup. The Yankees favored here, they should be. They have their best pitcher going. They have the right-handed lineup going against the lefty. The problem is in the pen where... Luizaga is not going to be available. He pitched two innings, so you're out without him. Abreu went an inning and a third, so you're probably down him. Clay Holmes went an inning. He should be available. Chapman went an inning. Do you even want him to be available? So you're looking at Green tonight. You're looking at Licky tonight. You're looking at Peralta, Rodriguez. You just hope Cole gives you length because when you don't have Luizaga available, it's kind of scary. <laughs> and this game ended so fucking late. Three hours and 43 minutes the game was. So you're looking at, you know, it was 120 in the morning. Then your your heart's going 300 beats per minute because of what Chapman puts you through. So it's hard to fall asleep right after the game. So by the time I went to bed, it's like almost 2 in the morning. Had to get up around 6 in the morning. So I'm running on fumes over here. I feel like I, I have a hangover. I didn't even drink during the game. And I got to do it all again on Friday night. Another late start. Another 940 start. Saturday, thankfully, 4.05 start. Sunday night baseball, 7 o'clock, and then back to 9.40 against the Angels for two nights, and then the 7 o'clock game on getaway day. So it's going to be a grind this week. It's going to be a grind. <laughs> and Al Malafrante, who hosts the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway, joined me to talk about the Yankees, and it's a great time to talk to him because everything's going well. So it was a great conversation to have at a great time. Yankees have won 12 straight, first time since 1961. So let's get to it. 
All right, and joining me today to talk about the Yankees is the host of the awesome Break a Bad podcast where baseball meets Broadway, Al Malafrante. Al, how's it going today? I'm doing great, Neil. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, and it's, it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. I know we've been trying to do this for a while now, uh, you know, Busy guy, busy guy over there with the podcast, which is, like I said, awesome. And any Yankees fan, any baseball fan, Broadway fan, I know you have a lot of ex-players who aren't necessarily Yankees, but uh, it's a great listen for anyone that's uh, into that. I, I guess before we get into it, you know, just the background on that, I know obviously you're a baseball fan, obviously you're a Broadway fan, so to put the two together, um, you know, quite a, quite a unique thing you've got going over there. Well, thanks. Yeah, we've, uh, we're actually closing in on our 100th episode, which is pretty hard to believe. But yeah, I mean, it more or less just started with, you know, my dream of kind of combining my two greatest passions, sports and theater. Um, you know, when I moved to Manhattan a couple years after graduating, I felt like there was a bit of a stigma that you couldn't like both. Uh, it took me a little while, but I figured that I tried to set out to change that in some way. And um you know, it's so fun. Obviously, we started not long before the pandemic hit. You know, we used to record in studio and everything. But, um, you know, fortunately, we've been able to continue to provide a little bit of a platform for folks to hear stories from their favorite uh, players or actors or actresses from uh, the stage screen and stadium, as we like to say. So it's it's been so fun. And I've been a big fan of your work for a while now, man, going back to when you were at the fan. You're you're uh you're the good stuff in Yankee writing, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's been a while, and I I know from uh, from social media, you have very similar views of this team as I do. You know, you're not necessarily uh, Homer. Everything the Yankees do is right. Everything the front office does is right. Which it seems like there's a large faction of fans who do that. And hey, that's the way you want to root for the team. That's great. That's not the way I like to root for the team. I want to have this team win. The goal to watching your favorite sports team is to eventually win. They haven't done that in quite some time. So actually, it's a good thing that we're talking now in the middle of the first 11 game winning streak since 1985, a time when the team seems can't lose they're now in a postseason berth even though it's not the one they need to get or the one they should get but it's a better time that we're talking now than had we talked uh you know say a month or a little over a month ago yeah i agree i mean that's that's the thing i like about you i feel like we're both pretty objective when it comes to this team and if we had done this in like may or june or something we probably would have just come off as angry so this is probably much better timing (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely and i and that's the thing is even when there's things that bother me now like aaron boone's bullpen management the other night um or seemingly every game aaron boone's bullpen management or just the lineup and people say how can you complain this team you know they won 11 games because quiet but the reason that they have won 11 games and they've needed to win 11 games and they've needed to play this well is because they dicked around for the first four months of the season and now they're finally being the team that we expected them to be so until they're the last team standing until they win the last game of the baseball season I think there is room to complain and they're not playing perfect baseball they're not doing everything to the best of their abilities so there is room to be critical yes it's it's much much more fun watching this team now in the last month or since the all-star break but Certainly, people who had their opinions on this team in April when they started 5-10 and 10, or when they were swept by the Tigers or when they started out 0-7 against the Red Sox, anything any fan wanted to say about that team, the team at that point, was fair and, and certainly open game. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it, it's just an entirely different DNA that I'm seeing with the Yankees right now. Um, I've been pretty vocal about how much I love the Anthony Rizzo move, just the ability to bring in a proven winner like that. I mean, yes, with the Yankees payroll and with 
you know, some of these young players that we felt would be hitting their prime um, going into 2021. You would have thought going into the season they had a decent shot at at least winning a pennant. But as we know, it's World Series or bust. And I do, I would like to believe that, you know, a guy like Rizzo in particular is like kind of like that missing ingredient. Um, you know, you've had a couple guys have some down years, whether it be Glaber or DJ LeMay, who injury problems with Void and Geo. Um, I feel like they, they're doing some different things to try to win now. I mean, I do think that finally putting John Carlos Stanton in the outfield is a nice way to deepen the lineup a bit. And it seemed like they were afraid to do that in the beginning. And my biggest issue was when things weren't working, they weren't changing or they weren't adapting. And that bothered me. Um, but now it just seems like there's a whole new culture here. I mean, I know Joey Gallo hasn't necessarily done a ton, but there's something to be said for bringing in new blood. We, we had seen that, um, I want to say in 2017 when, you know, they brought in Todd Frazier and David Robertson, just something about changing the DNA, uh, can really go a long way. And, you know, the dog days of summer and, um, yeah, we've certainly seen it pay dividends, man. This is the, this is the longest winning streak that I remember. I feel like we did what we won 10 in a row in 2012 and maybe in 05. Yeah, they actually um, won 12, 10 in a row last year as well. No one remembers it because they were so right. bad last year. But yeah, last September they did it. And you bring up a great point about just changing the look, the feel, the culture of this team. And they didn't do that last year at the deadline. They made no moves. They didn't do that in 2019, which was probably the best Yankees team that we've seen with this core. And they made no moves to better the team. In 18, they got Jay Happ, and he was great down the stretch before they gave him the new deal, and he sucked. And Lance Lynn, who was nowhere near what he is now, now um, when they had him and they were using that the bullpen and wrongfully using him in those playoffs uh, but they've sat still at the last two deadlines and look what happened and this year they made moves they had to make and we heard Brian Cashman in the front office for the last three years tell us that the the team doesn't need to have lineup balance having all right-handed hitters doesn't matter and then he went out and admitted his mistake because he went out and he got Joey Gallo he went out and he got Anthony Rizzo admitting that hey they screwed up you need lineup balance you can't win it in the major leagues without lineup balance and look what it's done even if Rizzo hasn't done much since the Miami series even if Gallo has had sporadic success it's taking the pressure off Judge and Stanton and Sanchez and LeMahieu it's putting left-handed bats that aren't Brett Gardner and Mike Ford and even Rugnet Odor in the three spot and the six spot it, it just it makes the team better and even if those guys aren't doing you know things that you might think they should do like get extra base hits and hit home runs Rizzo's still playing a great first base Joey Gallo's still taking his walks playing an outstanding outfield uh the team it's just a better team oh 100 you know you mentioned judge and stanton just look at how much better they've done since the beginning of august just being able to play hitting a lineup like that that's just so much more balanced it's just it's so much more watchable um not having to see those one two three innings like we were when they were last in the league and runs for like the first three months in the season um it's just been it's just entirely different now. I do have to say that uh, you mentioned Odor. I know that you, you have some fun with uh, your relationship with Rugi on uh, Twitter. <laughs> I, 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 you know what I think about Rugi is that he reminds me a little bit of like Russell Martin where he can hit 200, but it seems like every home run that he hits counts. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that I'm being completely fair with Odor with the things I say and write about and speak about him, but... 
at the same time, what he represents just leaves a bad feeling with me. And it's not his fault. What he represents right. is a player that, that was on the scrap heap that the Yankees went out and got, not because he's good anymore, not because he they needed him, but because he cost nothing. And this team that's trying to stay under the luxury tax threshold because Hal Steinbrenner isn't his father, doesn't want to spend, even though the Yankees have the best financial resources in the entire league, to me, Rugnit Odor just represents a guy who costs nothing, whose salary is being paid by the Rangers, and the Yankees got him because he was free. If Rugnit Odor cost a million dollars the Yankees weren't going to get him if he cost you know 800,000 the Yankees weren't going to get him it's the fact that he cost zero dollars and it's sort of like what they did at the deadline where they got the Rangers to pay Gallo's salary they got the Cubs to pay Rizzo's salary because they gave away better prospects so rather rather than keep their farm system somewhat you know uh, stacked they gave away better prospects and additional prospects just to not have to take on salary to go over the luxury tax threshold, which the team can easily afford. Easily. Like, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a question. I mean, the Yankees have cut pay. They, when they got within one game of the World Series in 2017, they cut payroll by $50 million the next year. They did the same thing last year. So this, this is a team that's payroll has remained stagnant over the last 20 years Despite the revenues in baseball being out of control, the ticket prices haven't remained stagnant over 20 years. The beer prices haven't remained stagnant. Oh. So it just it leaves a bad feeling with me that to watch Odor, not that, you know, he does, like you said, he's a great role player. He's a guy, he's had big hits this year. He's had big base hits. He's had big home runs. But just the idea that he costs nothing and that's the only reason he's on the team, it just, it just bothers me. Right, it's kind of like what he represents. I agree. <laughs> excuse me, I agree. Um, and you, you know, we, some of those teams from the mid 2010s were full of guys like that. You know, whether it was like Kelly Johnson or Brian Roberts or oh god, uh, you know those the, the players with that type of DNA. Um, right, they're best suited to be a fifth infielder, um, a guy that you play once or twice a week. I, you know, it, you talk about the financial resources that the Yankees have. That's why, you know, you mentioned not doing anything at the deadline in 2019. It was so frustrating when they didn't go after Zach Granke. And then next thing you know, Houston gets him and they're in the World Series. So I, you know, by no means am I comparing, um, you know, Anthony Rizzo's skills to, you know, or his impact to what Zach Granke could be. Zach Granke's a Hall of Famer, obviously, but, you know, Rizzo's a proven winner. Uh, Gallo, like you said, I really love what he can do in the outfield as well. He's taken his walks. And, you know, I would love a scenario where Gleyber Torres comes off the IL and all of a sudden uh, you don't know who to play because everyone is still continuing to hit and play well. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, month of September, especially as, you know, you hope people get healthy. The same thing goes with Gio Urshela. Um, I more than anything this year, I said in the beginning of the season, it's World Series or bust for me because we've been we've put up with quite a lot over the past four or five years with this little window that they've had and different reasons why they didn't win. Like we were talking about before, not doing much at the deadline in years past or going over the luxury tax threshold um, when they have the resources, resources to do it is very frustrating. So I, um, you know, it, it's been so great to watch this 
run that they've had, but it won't mean anything unless they can go all the way in October <laughs> this year. Because, hey, man, we've, we've had enough ALCS appearances. World Series time, man. I agree. I agree. Four ALCS losses since the last World Series appearance. And you bring up Glaber there, who's expected to start a, a rehab assignment next week, or maybe we'll get an update on that before the Oakland Series. Um, but he's expected to start minor league games next week, so you figure a couple more weeks till he's back with the Yankees. He's in an uh, a unique spot here in the sense that he needs to come back and do well because he's been a mess of all of 2020. I know it was a shortened season. I know, hey, it was only 60 games, and if they had played another 102 games, maybe he would have turned it around. But what you've seen from him this season suggests that he wouldn't have. And as a Gary Sanchez fan and supporter, I've seen what Gary's had to deal with when it was Austin Romine who should play over him, when it's Kyle Gashioka who should play over him, even though there's a large enough sample size to show that those two guys don't do well when they're everyday players. Glaber's going to run into that here. If he comes back and his fielding is shitty and he doesn't hit, the calls for Andrew Velazquez are going to be extra loud. Yeah, no, they absolutely are. And, you know, Glaber has a lot on the line here because, you know, there have been so many rumblings, even down in the minor leagues, about Anthony Volpe. Um, He's, you know, after his 2020, which was, you know, pretty poor, he did have a good postseason last year, in fairness to him. He always seems to rise to the occasion in the playoffs. Um, This is, but this is a pretty poor Glaber Torres season. It's very, uh, it's very surprising because there was a point, actually, I want to say it was 2019, where I legitimately thought, that he was going to be the best Yankee for the next 10 years. Um, And he had that huge season. He's always hit pretty well in the playoffs. And I, like a lot of fans, fell in love with him. But, you know, with what we've seen this year, it wouldn't be as bothersome if there hadn't been, you know, a couple of instances where you might consider him to be a little bit lazy, um, which we've seen on defense a couple times. And, you know, lapses in judgment, um, not running out of the batter's box in that Atlanta game at home early in the year. Um, if he, he has something to prove, this is really going to be his opportunity because like we've seen, you know, we've talked about a guy like you mentioned, Andrew Velasquez, um, he's hitting right now. If Glaber Torres doesn't show the best side of himself or something at least comparable to Andrew Velasquez, I don't know if he's necessarily earned the right to start the rest of the season. So, um, I really hope he's fully healthy. I thought last year, you know, Brian Cashman said that he was out of shape. I mean, he doesn't go after anyone else but Glaber Torres on that front. But um, <laughs> you, you notice that he, he plays favorites, Cashman. But um, the thing with Glaber is I, I wanted to, you know, think, oh, maybe he was just hurt last year. This year, it's just like he's not hitting the ball with authority, um, you know, really at any for any extended stretch of the season. You know, we see that the power numbers are pretty much the same as they were last year, which are poor. Um I really hope that when he does come back, he gets off to a fast start because you don't want, you know, just for his psyche and, you know, all the optimism that we had about him as as Yankee fans, we don't want to see that all go away. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really important for him to get healthy. And then when he does come back, start hitting the ball with authority, show a little pop. And uh, that's really going to be the only way he's going to play, because now that Boone has options or that the front office has options to give Boone a different lineup that doesn't include uh Glaber, since we know Boone is not making out the lineup. Um yeah, I think uh yeah, Glaber uh Glaber has a lot to prove. Yeah, and and like you, I think every Yankees fan loved Torres. I mean he was a budding superstar, MVP candidate 
two-time All-Star, nearly won the Rookie of the Year despite not playing in the first month of the season in the majors. He was awesome. And whether it's the change in the baseball or it's him, like you said, potentially not being in shape, maybe something else, the mechanics is hitting. Uh, the difference between him and Velasquez, who, listen, Andrew Velasquez, he's a role guy. He's a utility guy. That's what his career projects out to be. Glaber Torres is a guy who could bat third for you for a decade. But when Glaber's not going well offensively, it's not like the defense is there and you can sit back on that like a guy like Rizzo who he hasn't been hitting but he's been playing gold glove first base for the Yankees whereas Velazquez even when he doesn't hit you know you're getting steady play at short you know he's going to make the routine plays which Glaber doesn't always do you know he's going to make the hard plays like he did uh, this week in Atlanta so it's it's just more stability and when you have the lineup that they have now with LeMahieu going and Judge and Stanton Hod and Rizzo and Gallo and Sanchez and all these guys you don't necessarily need to have another extra bat you know you can bat Velazquez ninth and get away with it because you have such a strong one to eight now I'm not saying he should play over Glaber and Glaber is going to get his job back but it's going to the leash won't be that long because it's going to be crunch time. He's coming back in September. They need to win the division to avoid the one game playoff. And, you know, it, he's really going to be up against it when it comes to pressure wise. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there, Neil. Yeah. And I think the, I think the biggest thing here is just to get off to a hot start. Kind of like when Gary, he needed a hot start this year. He homered in the first two games of the season, you know, then he sort of fell apart, lost his job for a week or two, but certainly got it back and has been great. Um, that's just the thing. It, like you said, sort of with Cashman favorites, the Boone has his favorites as well. Certainly he'll call out Sanchez. He'll call out, you know, Glaber or when it was Clint Frazier was here, he won't play Miguel Andujar, but guys like, you know, Aaron Hicks, endless chances, uh, you know, Rugano <laughs> Dor invincible it's just it's so odd the guys they pick and choose to demote or take away playing time uh it is odd but you bring up a good point that it does exist certainly with this team yeah hicks i think is definitely a cashman and boone favorite and it it, dude it drove me nuts i mean the rationale as to why he was hitting third at the beginning of the season was one of the biggest points of frustration that i know that the both of us had it was and not doing anything about it when it wasn't working that just goes back to what i was saying before the the stuff wasn't working and they weren't adapting but um yeah now it's nice it's just this whole new guard of guys that seem hungry um i don't i don't know how you felt about the luke void comments i wouldn't have necessarily have gone about it. I wouldn't have gone about it the way that he did in some senses, but it's nice to see that he's so hungry to play. And he's a guy that I've always enjoyed because of his, uh, obviously because of his power, but also he's, he's a pretty honest guy. Even last year when the team was struggling, he was one of the few guys that was called about. He was like calling them the bad news bears and whatnot. I mean, what a great problem to have when, you know, now the, the fact that he's actually hitting and you have Rizzo, obviously it kind of forces the Yankees to, you know, play Stanton in the outfield a little bit more, which with his salary and his age, I don't know why it was such like a a big, scary issue. I mean, it's a pretty simple task to be able to play left or right field three, four days a week. Um, I'm very curious to see um, how the Yankees go about handling their playing time as they try to win the division, because I think that that's, that really has to be the goal. I don't want any part of a one game wildcard playoff. As great as Garrett Cole is, as much as I trust him, um, this team, it really, the, the division should should have been the focus from the very beginning. And obviously they fell so far behind 
um, that I understand that a lot of Yankee fans would just accept the wild card berth. But I think if you're, you know, going forward here, um, you know, you have to think about the division because it, you, you don't want any part of that one game wild card. This Oakland series that they have coming up is going to be huge. I know Oakland's struggling a lot, but really the, this is an opportunity uh, for the Yankees against a team that they played pretty well against at Yankee Stadium a couple months ago to really, you know, try to push a little bit closer to the Tampa uh, to the Tampa Bay Rays, who they are going to have a, other opportunities against. Um, I, I just think that it would make a world of difference for this team to be able to just go straight into a division series, have a nice best of five um, and you know, not have to deal with the anxiety of just, you know, a win or go home game. And, you know, listen, there's, there's still time. We got what, 30 games left or so. Um, I definitely think it's doable. And, uh, you know, the, the schedule come September isn't crazy difficult. You know, there's a couple of interesting matchups on there, but yeah, if I'm the Yankees right now, it's, uh, it's pedal to the metal, play the hot hands and, uh, yeah, hope for the best. Yeah, certainly. And it's going to be tough to not just because they're four back with uh, what, 36 to play um, to the Rays. They do have three games against them at the end of the season. You would like to get it down to one before there. So if you were to win the series, you could at least get them in a one game playoff for the division before the wild card game. Uh, it's just going to be tough because the Rays schedule is so easy and they don't lose. And the Yankees right. are 28 and nine since the All-Star break, which is outrageous. And they've made up one game on the Rays in that time. So while the Yankees are getting all the attention, all the hype for the moves they made, and because they're the Yankees, the Rays have been just as hot as them. They don't lose to the Orioles, who they'll see again this weekend for three games. Thankfully, the last three times they'll see them because they just destroyed the Orioles. Uh, and it's going to be tough. The Rays' schedule is easy. They're good. Uh, they give Yankee the Yankees problems all year, which is sort of the reason the Yankees are in the situation where they are chasing them. Uh, but certainly, it's going to be a wild September. And if you know the Orioles could ever just win one game this weekend, just one. <laughs> asking for anything more just win a freaking game against the Rays it would go a long way as long as the Yankees could have a good weekend in Oakland and this team these Yankees this core has been horrible in Oakland I think they're one in nine going back to 2017 there so it's gonna be a tough weekend I hope they could just get out of there with two wins that would be nice uh and I'm not looking to win this you know win this series I'm not looking to sweep the series it would be great if they could do that and keep the winning streak going but just taking two would be huge and the thing with the Yankees the last few years and really for a long time now, like a decade, has always been the question of the rotation, you know, getting ready for the postseason. Who's going to start games two and three? There always seems to be a guy to start game one, except in 19 when it was like, should it be Severino? Should it be Paxton? Should it be Tanaka? But you know Cole's going to start game one if this team gets to the ALDS. Two, three, four could be up for debate. The rotation, to me, isn't really a question mark. It's been great all season. Their offense now has been pretty good. I, I mean, I'm still scared to shitless that the team will just go and fade away and disappear in the playoffs again when it comes to hitting. But the bullpen, which has been the one stable factor of this team forever, is now the biggest question mark. Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, anyone who listens to Breaking Bat knows that we do love Aroldis Chapman. However, it has given me a ton of anxiety to see what's gone on the past few months. I mean, it's it's so bizarre because he was really having his best season of potentially a Hall of Fame career, uh, you know, the first two months of the year. And then all of a sudden, shit hit the fan. Um, right now with what's going on, I mean, we saw what happened in Atlanta the other night. I would use the game plan that they implemented 
right after the all-star break and before Chapman got hurt. Uh, pitch him in the lower leverage situations. Let him work out his kinks, which we're obviously seeing since he came off the IL. And hope you can get him back to the Chapman that was having his best season up until early June. His upside is just so tremendous. I think you've got to see if you can write that ship with him because it'll pay big dividends to have a weapon like that in the playoffs who can basically strike everybody out no matter how good a hitter they are. Obviously, it would be a, it would be pretty nice if we had the 2020 or 2019 version of Zach Britton right now. Um, I really hope he doesn't end up needing surgery. But um, I am very curious to see how they build their bullpen. Um, you know, should they make it into a playoff series? I might be in the minority here, but I obviously, you know, Cole's a lock. At this point, Tyone's a lock. Um, the three and four spots, I want to see what we could get from Kluber. Should he come back healthy and pitch well down the stretch? I, I would like to be able to slot him into a game two or three. So make him one of your top three. But to go back to what I was saying as far as being in the minority, I want Nestor Cortez starting in a playoff game. <laughs> because, hear, hear me out, if he can give you his usual five, five and two-third innings in the playoffs with that great control and just, I mean, he's just such money in the bank for at least those five innings. If the bullpen is right, that's all you need, a five and dive. So they, I am concerned about... Maybe their heavy use in the beginning had something to do with it, but there's so much talent in that bullpen that, like we said before, you know, it's being able to recognize what's not working and do something about it, even if it's just like a temporary fix, like I had mentioned before, the idea for Chapman. Um, get that bullpen righted, man, because it could be such a weapon. I mean, that was that, that was that was that's been such a strength for the Yankees over the past few years. You know, we've had a lot of guys emerge kind of out of nowhere. I mean, Lucas Litke, I had a feeling might turn back into a pumpkin. Uh, to use a little Cinderella reference, but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> though, I, I would like to think that um, you know, if you could get a little bit more length out of your starters, just you know, at some point in September, maybe give the bullpen. I that, see it's so tough because then you're going to be trying to fight for the division as well. I don't know. They just have to try something a little bit different. Like with Chapman, maybe pitch some of these guys in lower leverage situations. But, you know, when the save opportunity comes, I would like to think you can count on the wise ago right now. Chad Green's a guy that, for the most part, I have a lot of faith in. But, yeah, there's just so much talent there, and it's a matter of trying to maximize it and, you know, um, in the right way. So I, I'm curious to see how they handle that these next few weeks. Yeah, no, and, and and Nestor Cortez. I mean, two years ago when he was on the team, I said wrote a lot of things really negative about him because he was awful. He got a roster spot for almost the entire season, just being very very bad as an opener, as the piggyback guy off the opener. He was terrible, and what he's done to turn around his career is crazy remarkable. And I trust him, like you said, I trust the guy. He goes out there, he grinds through starts, he gets you the five innings, two runs. You know, that's what you need in the postseason. And yeah, I trust him. And I think right now, if Kluber weren't healthy, they would go like uh, Cole. Then I think they would do Montgomery, Tyone, then Cortez in a game four. It seems like they still wouldn't hold him uh, to the as high a standard as Montgomery and Tyone. But you could certainly make the case that he deserves a start even more so than them. I agree. I, Jordan Montgomery, listen, he's actually had a pretty decent season, but it bothered the hell out of me. So he pitched that game in the playoffs last year. You get four innings, one or yeah. two. I feel like the Yankees did like an end zone dance after that happened and just got way too high on this guy. I don't want to necessarily just pencil him in 
to a postseason start. We have another month to go. I mean, he, he hasn't approached um, – I mean, he hasn't really approached seven innings in most of his starts. Like, I just want to see a little bit more from him because, you know, obviously last year he did not pitch great outside from that, you know, one four inning start in the uh, postseason against the Rays. Um, Nestor Cortez, I just have more trust in him. So let Montgomery try to prove us wrong, right? But but nonetheless, though, I think, you know, being able to have two lefties um, like that who could make such a world of difference – you know, it, whether it be out of the rotation or if it ends up being as a long man in the postseason, it's a great problem to have for the Yankees. But yeah, Nestor Cortez is a guy who I feel has earned a postseason start, uh, even if there's only one to be had, assuming that Kluber comes back strong. All right, Al. Well, a lot of baseball left to go. Another five weeks left to go until the end of the regular season. Got to get the division. Have to cut these games off before that final series of the season. But I appreciate you taking the time to come on talk Yankees baseball. Look forward to the next podcast from you as well. So uh, another month to go. We'll have to check in again as we get closer to October. And uh, like we said, hopefully it's it's a division title and not just a wild card berth. That's right, Neil. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I'll talk Yanks with you anytime you want. All right. Thanks to Al for taking the time to come on and talk about the Yankees. Second game of the series. Friday night, Garrett Cole against Sean Manaya. You expect Cole to do well here. You expect him to do well in every start. He's probably going to get about seven more starts after this one. The Yankees now just have to go 21-14 and 14 to get to 96 wins, but it seems like it might take more like 98 or not even 99 wins to win the division because the Rays never lose, and they start a series with Baltimore on Friday night. Don't expect them to lose this weekend. So if they're not going to lose, the Yankees have to win to keep pace for out. Need the Orioles to take at least one here. Come on, Orioles. Take one. You've won two in a row. Make it three. But, uh, you know, you can't hope. You can't think that's going to happen. Stop. So that'll do it for today. Yankees A's again on Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday night. I'll be back after the series to talk about it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.